in 2014 um, at my best friend from college's wedding, um, I connected with the sister and that's now my wife. Like I've known her since 2008 or nine, but you know, she was always JJ's sister. And then at the wedding, we just connected and, and we hit it off. And three months into our relationship, she told me she loved me. And was like, Hey, look, I'm moving to Europe to get a master's. I don't do long distance. We either break up and in the heartache now, or would you come with me? It's like, fuck it. Let's go. Right. So quit my job, sold my house, all those things. When I moved, I'd never been outside the Midwest. You are listening to the High Growth Founders Podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. You are not going to want to miss today's interview. Today, I am talking to Rob Napoli of... I can't even list all the things he's done. But he is an incredibly impressive human, a really fascinating guy. And we talk about a couple of big things. One, he recently published a book called The Social Soul, which is all about how you can think about personal brand as a founder and for your career. This is something that he and I really connected on. We share a lot of common ideas and sort of philosophies around this. But in the interview, he really explains sort of his approach, which I think is super tactical and breaks it down. So even if you're an introvert, even if the idea of posting on social media is completely terrifying, he's got something that I think is going to help. But he also talks a lot about how incredibly lucrative your personal brand can be. Like how if you, even if you aren't a founder yet and you're just thinking about it, the ways that you can start giving now to build that following, to build those connections, to build that network, because it pays dividends down the line. And it's, he's a super smart human. He has worked with an astounding number of startups, over 500 startups in the last three years alone. He has tons of experience in growth, in sales, and the intersection between brand, product, and sales. He ran an agency and a boot camp all about helping European founders and their startups break into the US market. Like, dude is incredibly interesting. He drops lots of uh, very helpful kind of knowledge bombs for you, but he also talks about some really deeply personal things and some of the loneliness of the founder journey and the ways that he deals with that and the ways that he struggles with it. So, we get into some real stuff. He shares some pretty fascinating stories. And I think this is one you are really going to find helpful 
and also interesting. So keep listening. Rob Napoli, I am so incredibly freaking excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for being here. You bet. It's been, uh, we've talked about doing a podcast for a long time, like doing an episode like from my podcast, which we still need to get you booked on to this from like your ideation when you told me about it a long time ago to see it come through. So like, I'm fucking excited just to be able to, to chat with you and rap about. Thank you for coming. And, and just to kick things off. And I know that there's this is a tough one because there's a lot to this answer. But give a give a quick summary of who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Rob Napoli. I I do a lot of things, but I run a company called Rise Up Coaching, uh, and it's a training and development company for startups and growth stage companies really looking at intersection of product, brand, and sales. And that's just a fancy way of saying that I help companies take what they're doing and move it forward. So that's what I do now and have had kind of a long winding road to getting here um, and a lot of ups and downs, successes and failures that um, I want to give back into the entrepreneurship community. Uh, Well, we're going to get into some of that. So the way we always kick off these conversations is with a little bit of the tough stuff. Um, You know me, you've known me for a while you know that one of my big kind of passions in life is to recognize that we we don't learn from the easy and the 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 quick successes we learn from struggle and the failure so i'm just going to ask you to share a story of something tough that you went through that ultimately led to some really profound growth for you yeah i mean there's a there's a number of things that kind of happened, which we can get into later. One of it being my decision to leave a six figure job to move to Italy for a girl that is now my wife, um, and getting a master's uh, coaching American football while in Italy. And those are the things that like that's how I found entrepreneurship. If it, those things didn't happen, and that experience of like leaving a comfortable life behind and going there, I've never found a passion for entrepreneurship. But I think the biggest lesson really came back in 20, 2019 uh, is when I got fired for the first time. So as I was trying to get out of get out of the recruiting game and into the startup space, back into the startup space, because I had, was there, left, and then came back, I took a job at a startup that was the wrong fit, and I wasn't passionate. And while I was being successful, I guess you can call it, I hit my numbers and do the things I needed to do. You could just tell that I wasn't happy and I wasn't passionate and I kind of knew it, but I didn't know I was scared. I took it and left to go there because I was scared to make the jump into what I really wanted. And that was really tough. And so when I got sat down and was getting let go, uh, the boss that fired me was like, Hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to split this up over two months and give you a little severance package. Cause you've got a ton of commissions coming and you need to go start your own business. And I kind of was like, fuck, what do I do from here? Like, how am I going to tell people I just got fired? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But that was really, really tough. But it, it was also the, 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 the switch I needed to be like, oh, fucking K, let's go. Like, how do I go make my dream a reality and like start my own business? Uh, so that was like, it was really tough. It was really hard for me to overcome and like, go through that. Also, my pride and my ego 
were massively hurt um, being fired. And now I talk about it with pride, right? But like, I don't know, the hardest things. Like, I remember going to the bar and just like drinking and just like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So what do you think your boss saw that you maybe had been ignoring? He knew you needed to go start your own thing, start your own business, and you'd kind of been avoiding that reality, that 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 possibility. What do you think he saw that 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 you didn't? A couple of things. One, when I joined, the whole reason I was joining him in that small thing was he was going to kind of peel back the curtain and allow me to really like see what it takes to like start a services based business because that was probably where I was going to be because I've mostly services my whole life. And so, like, we kind of had that understanding when I was going in that this was to help him build something bigger um, and give me, like, a peek behind the veil, right? So I think what he saw when I got in there and as I started seeing behind the veil, that just didn't excite me. The things that excited me were all the stuff I was doing outside, like coaching at accelerators and um, going to events. Like, whenever I would go to events, I was the only one that would show up to events. And I was excited about it. I'd come back with all these, like, leads and conversations just never really for the business that we were running, but for like other things that I wanted to do. Uh, and I think he just saw that and like where I lit up when I talked about like what I was doing and kind of noticed that, okay, you're talking about all these things. These are good, but none of it's tying to this business. It's all tying to like the other side of Rob. And I think, you know, as I, I was trying to like figure out how to turn all this into the business and he was like, yeah, that's not happening. Like you're, you're lighting up over here and that's just, it doesn't, it's not helpful for us. And with a small team in a small office, he just, you know, he's like, look, you're making this money. Like you're not losing this money, but I can't afford to have you here because I need to think about the, the bigger growth. And after I left, they blew up. Like they continued to grow through the pandemic, all this, they've done an amazing job. Not saying that me leaving was the catalyst for that, but he needed to get the right people with the right passion in and I was not it. And he noticed that pretty early on. Yeah, they needed someone who is all in on that vision. Okay, so so I'm really curious. You and I have, you and I have a lot of similarities, but there's a couple of things that you and I have uh, in common. One is we don't know how to do one thing at a time. Call it our ADHD, call it our, I don't know, natural sort of passion and zest for life. But you and I have a tendency to always be have like, I mean, anytime you and I are catching up, it's, it's like, okay, let's run through the 20 things each of us are doing. How do you manage all of that? How do you balance all of these different projects, these different passions, these different interests um, in your life and in the work that you do so that you're making, you're still making, you know, amazing impact on the work that you do, despite not being all in? On, on on one specific thing. Yeah. So I to kind of take a step back in in kind of my background, I when I was in college, I was you know, I played sports and had a job and got a degree and I was kind of connected to show up and get B's. Like I didn't have procrastinated in the study. And so when I got done with college, I didn't know quite what I wanted to do like you know, they tell you to graduate at 22 and 23. It's like, you declare a major at 18. It's like, go change the world. It's like, what the fuck? I don't know what I want to do. Uh, so I went into recruiting and 
that was kind of that agency taste of like, you have to be on all the time. You're managing multiple clients, multiple uh, consultants, multiple like internal people. And so I learned really quickly that I had a, I had a passion for that, that I could just like multitask well. And it comes down to a couple of things. Uh, and this has evolved. So like early, this didn't happen, but now it's time blocking. So I live and die by my calendar and I color code everything. So that allows me, when I'm going to put two hours to content creation for this. That two hours, it's blocked off. It's there. It's happening. And that's what I'm only thing I'm doing for two hours. And I stick to that. Now I go through creative spells where I have to move stuff around, but I've gotten really good at blocking those things and like putting my focus for a sprint into it. Right. Cause when you try to like balance all these things out, if you treat it like a marathon, it will never work. Right. Like in most jobs, you kind of treat it like a marathon, those highs and lows, but in the work that we do, it's like, I treat everything like a sprint. So I'm going to run hard for two hours. And I never block anything for more than two hours at a time. If I put four hour block in my calendar, I'm going to probably like do the dishes, do some laundry, maybe turn on um, a YouTube or a podcast and get completely consumed and then do an hour of the work. So two hour blocks, like keep me focused. But I just sprint through everything and I treat everything on my calendar like a sprint, not a marathon. And that's how I'm able to balance so many different things. The negative side of that is the burnout side, which has happened from time to time. Um, but it's allowed me to really stay in that focus. So I can do this project and then switch and transition to the next one and kind of let leave it at the door type of thing. I think that's a great way of looking at it. See, my guess knowing you is that you also apply that same passion and presence to your downtime and to your, your other, you know, to the personal side of life. So I, my guess is that's partly how you can manage to not get burned out all the time and only on occasion, which it happens to the best of us. You're you're not, you're not a kind of one trick pony when it comes to applying that sprint mentality to only work, but also to playtime. Yeah. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, um, yeah. right? Because it's, it's high everything. energy. <laughs> it does. It's high energy, high octane all the time, but it also, it does cause a little bit of, it causes a lot of issues, not issues. That's the wrong word. It makes it hard to keep long-term relationships uh, with friend groups because of you're just like sprinting and so invested in these things and you just like bop around. I was always the kid that I had a lot of friends and a lot of associations and I would be in this group and that group and this group, but I was always the outsider of all those groups. And partly because of that. And the other part is I'm a twin and um, my twin and I are, tough to handle together. It takes a very special type of person. I mean, it does. Um, those that have been with us the longest that are friends with both of us, it's a very special type of person. There's a, there's a, I can count them on a hand how many people I've been able to ride through that because it's intense. And like my brother and I are super competitive. Um, we are just like, we also are so close that like, it's hard for you to actually be on the inside with us because of how close we are as twins. So you know, I've, I've struggled a lot um, in my personal life with managing relationships um, and friendships and how to be there because I tend to forget about people and I wait for them to text me versus me texting them. And that causes a lot of issues. So while it's a great thing and I, I bring a lot of passion and I'm a lot of fun to be with, I, I have a hard time at 
remembering to um, stay highly engaged um, in the outside of work life. I think that's also an ADHD symptom. And I'm the same where friends that stick around learn that I absolutely love and adore them. And the moment they reach out, like I will do what I can to be there, but I will constantly forget to text them back. I, they will, they are almost always the ones that like reach out first. And also it's always very interesting. You and I have experienced this when, when, when we both are that way, dude, it's hard, right? It, it, it takes some work and it's funny. I have a, uh, I have a friend who she and I joke about it where it's like, we now have this running thing where every time one of us sends an email, there's some sort of joke of like, I know I'm really late in sending you this email, just like my 80. And it's like, that's the first line of every email we send to each other. Um, because it is hard. It's um, if something isn't right in front of me, I don't always remember it. And I'm much better at staying organized in my work life than I am in my personal and my social life. Well, I, yeah, I mean, hundred percent. And that's actually one of the things, even in my work life that I've had, I've struggled with. Like I have also low grade OCD. So like, I don't miss text messages. Like I will drop everything to answer you back the minute you text me. Same thing with emails, same thing with Slack messages. And that cripples me to the point where like I have like fallen behind on projects because all I'm doing is making sure I'm at inbox zero. Like any notifications on any of my phone, like if you scroll through all my apps and if there's a notification, it will bother me. So I'll go through and have to clear all that. Um, so like that cripples me in the, in the work. That's why I say I treat everything like a sprint and I just like block everything out. Because if I don't, I know what will happen to me and the crippling effect of that. Um, and that's actually what makes it tough for me to work from home now. Like I am actively working on not working from home. Everyone's like, oh, working from home is the best. I'm like, it fucking sucks. It, it, it plays on everything that I can distract myself with to the point that I will, it will cause me pain. So yeah, I have to be really careful. That's why, that's why these things of like these sprints are super important. And while I even like block off time to like send, you know, send people a message. And so like with you, like if I know if I send you a message and I don't hear back from you in a 15, 20 days, I'll shoot you a follow up. And then I'll send you a voice note. And I usually like every three messages will get it back. And it's just because I put those things in my calendar. It's like, these are the people. And I have a list of, I call it my brand amplifier list. And it's the 50 to 100 people. Like, to our point, we were talking pre-show about Walker's message around his front row. These are the 50 to 100 people that are kind of in my front row that I can pass business to, that I want to stay highly engaged with, that um, I want to be able to do, do things for. And I have it on my calendar to reach out to three of them a week. I just kind of work through it. Just a quick video message or a, a text message. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about this. One of the things that, you know, connected you and I is our mutual passion for personal brand and also, um, you know, building a, like a, a valuable and connected network. So, one, let's talk a little bit about your book, but let's also talk about your approach. Like, how do you think about that? How do you talk to the founders that you work with about why this is so incredibly important um, in your founder journey, but also kind of career and life in general? Yeah. So 
you know, the book uh, is called The Social Soul. And it's, it, I titled it Mastering Your Personal Professional Brand with Authenticity and Intentionality. And on the on the whole, it's not another book about, you know, build your personal brand, create content. It's about building your personal brand by being your true self, creating a value at a network and engaging with that network first before you start creating. And while that's be- it's become so important to me because when in 2014, um, at my best friend from college's wedding, um, I connected with the sister and that's now my wife. Like I've known her since 2008 or nine, but you know, she was always JJ's sister. And then at the wedding, we just connected and, and we hit it off. And three months into our relationship, she told me she loved me. And was like, Hey, look, I'm moving to Europe to get a master's. I don't do long distance. We either break up and in the heartache now, or would you come with me? It's like, fuck it, let's go. Right. So quit my job, sold my house, all those things. When I moved, I'd never been outside the Midwest. Besides like going to Cancun spring break, which doesn't count as a whole other, you can imagine what, you know, 21 year old Rob was like in Mexico with his buddies. Yeah. It's um, not about like a cultural. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's not something so, totally different. <laughs> I had never been, uh, you know, prior to moving to Italy. Besides Florida, I'd never been east of Nashville or west of Denver, right? So, like, very much in my little, my little bubble. Uh, so when I moved there and I started meeting, you know, twenty-seven students from thirteen countries, it was a culture shock. I talk fast. I have a weird accent. I used to mumble and not articulate, which I've had to teach myself to do, especially when I get speeding up with ADHD and they're trying to like work with me, but I'm meeting all these people and professors are coming in and I'm connecting with so many amazing people, plus the people back home. And I was like, wow, now I have a truly global network. This is fucking cool. And I'd, prior to that, I'd always been a, um, a taker in networking, never a giver. And it wasn't till living in Italy, reading Go Giver Sell More, that I like realized that I was not a good giver. Um, and that changed everything for me. And so as I was living in Italy, I started working for a startup as the head of content and brand. And I helped the company scale from 5K to 100K and really grow globally and came to New York City to run, run, run through an accelerator program and you know helped in raising a small round of money and all these different things. And then eventually they didn't scale And I was like, what do I do with all this? I built an amazing network of amazing people. How do I keep it and grow it? And I just continued to build off that and realized that when you add the right people that you either want to learn from, that you can teach or you can learn with, and you get those right people in, people that you can engage with and engage back, that's powerful. And think about when founders start companies. They always try to make their brand really big. It took years for Nike to get big. It took years for IBM to get big. It took years for Facebook to, to really take off. But it's all about the person and the founder and like their connections and their story and their journey and how they built it and who they knew and who they asked for help. And when you do all that early, you're going to speed up your path to getting your brand bigger because you have a strong network and you can bring that network along to the brand. And that's what the book is all about, but that's what I learned. It just took me years to kind of put that all into process. And when I started a business, 
I think the success of my first business, what we just recently sold, was because the network that both my co-founder and I brought to the table and how we put that into practice. And it was powerful. And it was what gave us legs quickly to scale a business in a way that we couldn't even imagine. When I work with startups and their founders, it's usually because they know they could be growing faster and they need some help to make it happen. Almost always, my first step with them is to take them through my growth audit process to diagnose and then help them fix the problem. But I can't work with everyone and I still want to help every founder grow. So I've created the growth audit quiz, which asks you some questions about your business and your process of turning a stranger into a loyal, happy customer to help you identify where you have the greatest opportunity to take a big leap forward. So go to a betterjones.com slash growth audit and take the growth audit now. You'll also have a chance to book some time with me to review your answers and together create an action plan to help you grow. Well, and look, I think we've seen, especially in the last kind of few years, social media has changed pretty dramatically where we don't really follow brands on social media anymore. We follow people. And so your ability, it's, it's always very interesting. Founders are like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to focus on my company as a LinkedIn. And it's like, your company's LinkedIn is never going to be as powerful as your personal one can be. And or else it's going to take a really, really, really long time to get your company to that point. Um, and so investing in these, these and the personal side of it, it reaps all kinds of dividends that are often hard to even imagine before you get started. So I'm curious. So for all the, the founders out there that think, okay, yeah, I know I should do this, but I'm, I'm either nervous or I don't know how to get started or I just never seem to find the time to do it, which is probably the most common one. Um, what do you recommend? Great question. First, there's two things I recommend. One is just put a block of time on your calendar, like literally a 15 minute block. And it's set and just call it engage on social. So whatever platform you want. So if you have a couple of platforms, you might have to do a couple of blocks, but say you're trying to grow LinkedIn, take 15 minutes a day and engage with five posts. That's it. Comment, not just like comment thoughtfully on five posts. And if you tell me you don't have time, you're probably scrolling on social media while you're in the bathroom on the toilet. Like there's your 15 minutes a day, even if it's that, right? So like, that's why I tell them to start. The change that you conceive to your personal brand by engaging in others' content before you even post a thing is huge. You will see your profile views go up. You will see people connecting with you. You will see people starting to message you because of your thoughtful question or engagement. And that's it. Like that's not that's not near as scary as like putting out a bunch of posts. So I don't even tell people to start there. In fact, you don't ever really have to post. Like I know some people that are some like certified badasses that never post anything, but they're like continue to engage in conversations and they get tons of business inquiries just because of the way they engage with their network. And that can be done really easily in 15 minutes a day. That's it. That is it. Five comments and watch it grow. 
Yeah. And like, that's the thing. It's, I think we, um, we get very intimidated by it. People think it's this, this whole big production and it really doesn't need to be. It can be as simple as five engagements a day. Um, so I'm also curious as you work with so many different startups, so many different founders, um, all over the world. And this doesn't have to be about personal brand stuff. It can be about anything. What do you think is the most common mistake that you see early stage founders making, especially something that isn't, that we're not talking about enough? What do you think is just one of those lessons where you're like, oh my God, I really wish everyone would just learn this one so much sooner in their journey? What's that thing for you? It's that you need to look in the fucking mirror. The amount of um, pitches and decks that I see, and they're like, we have no competition. Especially founders from outside the US coming in, and even co-founders in the US, every founder I talk to thinks they have no competition. And they try to go to new markets, and they're like, we're going to grow and scale because our product is better, or we save, these are our USPs, we save you time and money. Saving you time and money is not a thing. That is a byproduct of what your true value is. So... I tell companies, you need to look in the mirror. There are competitors everywhere. And if you're going to try to really grow and scale your business, you need to know how to position yourself in the market. And most of the time, they fail to do that because they just think that their technology is better. or People are going to inherently see what they do better. And they're not until you educate them. And so the biggest mistake is look in the damn mirror there are more competitors than you think. And until you really do that competitive analysis and know what the market is, you are never going to have a chance. That's step one. The second step is when it comes to this idea of, you know, how big you can be in valuation and we're going to be the next Uber or we're like Airbnb for this, like stop. That's to like be you, be uniquely you and talk about what it is and then show me. Don't tell me you're going to scale to 5 million in five years because that's what the market says based on your SOM, SAM, TAM, all that bullshit. Like, I don't care. Like, investors care that it's a big market and that there is growth, right? But like, you're not going to go from 50K today to 5 million in five years unless you show me how. And we are so inflated about what we should be doing because of all these success stories that you don't actually take wins for what it is and you don't get excited about the little wins and build off those. And so you're trying to shoot for the moon. And then they had to say like, shoot for the moon, you'll land amongst the stars. While that sounds great. It's, it's a crock of shit because you need to know exactly where you are. Celebrate those wins and build momentum one step at a time. It's a, it's a continuous, continuous moving flagpole in the sand. And if you really look at that and think about growth in that those those runways like that is where you're going to hit that rocket ship to the moon and land among the stars but it doesn't start there and so many just think they're going to go from step one to ten like that i love everything you're saying so you know especially this this concept of oh we have no we have no competitors i've heard that so many times and what's always really interesting is i actually if you truly had no competitors that would make me so much more wary about your product because that means that there really isn't that much of a market opportunity and it's going to be much harder to convince people that they need a product that 
doesn't already exist. Most of the time, it's not a competitor that you're actually up against. It's status quo. And so what what is so bad about the existing kind of landscape that is going to make someone deal with the the cognitive load of changing for your product? Like, and oftentimes I know you've seen the same thing where when you really look at it, you're like, your product is a nice is it's nice to have. It's not a must-have. And that's really the issue. So many, like I use necessary versus accessory. And so many businesses are accessory, not necessary. And we saw that during the pandemic. Many companies, when they were cutting their tech stack, they would go from 15 different tech to like three or four. And most of those startups were down in the accessory and they had a pivot. And you saw which ones were able to pivot and like make it necessary and which ones didn't. And that's really, really important is, and you can be an accessory company. Like this is what also gets me is that some people want to be so necessary and be a billion dollar company that they don't actually see that they're an accessory that can be a five, 10, 15, $20 million company. And once you get that, you can figure out how to be necessary to be your billion dollar company. And I, and if I hear this again, like everyone's like, Rob, if I just had the money, no fucking shit. If I just had the money, I'd be doing all these different things, right? If you get lucky to get money, awesome, but don't build a company and just hope you're going to get money and not build over here. Right. And, and actually like go through the hard shit of being a founder. Yeah. Ooh, that's it. One. And look, I think we've also, the writing is on the wall. Belts are tightening. It's going to be a lot harder to get money probably for the next at least 18 to 24 months. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how the kind of the startup and founder ecosystem recognizes and adjusts um it's it's we're we're about to enter a very interesting couple of years i think yeah and from a vc and and kind of investor perspective and this is i guess for founders that are really listening out there i am against taking on funding if you don't have to but if you need to yes do it but there are two types of investors that will invest in you those that believe in you and give you what you need and will be a partner to you. And those that look at you as a number, right. As a part of the portfolio, stay away from those. Right. Cause that's going to put undue pressure. And you know, if there's any, you know, everyone's talking about, we crashed, right. If you watch it on Apple TV, right. At a certain point, investors will start pushing you to do things and you lose control of your company. And so when you go through this, founder journey and trying to take on investment, you need to be very clear about why you're taking it on, what you're going to do with it, and what that means to your role as a CEO and founder. Yeah. Because it changes quickly. It changes quickly. And I think this is this is something that I don't think we talk about often enough. Your investors aren't investing in the founder, they're investing in the startup. And the moment they believe that the founder that the startup is better off without the founder, <laughs> guess what they're going to do? They're going to figure out how to get you gone. And, and, and so, you know, finding the right investors to make sure that they actually do have your back and believe in you, not just your vision, not just your, not just your venture that can help you retain that control when things get a little crazy as they're want to do. Absolutely. And kind of bring this full circle for all those out there listening from 
And this is why it's so important that founders should sell and founders should like really focus on their brand is that when things do get tough and you're going through all this stuff, people are going to look to buying from people they care and trust about. And when we went through the pandemic, we were running a U.S. sales day service go to market entry. That dried up. We had everyone put everyone on hold in April, right? And so what do we do? We launched a boot camp. And we called in some favors like, hey, we know things suck right now. We don't know what's going to happen, but we want to put together a boot camp of how do we move forward in this? How do we do this? Do you want to be involved? And we called some of those people that we had that, that good social capital with that knew that we could deliver value in that moment and that their companies needed to go through something like this to continue figuring out how to build on top, that we were able to pivot ourselves to make money when things got tight. And... I truly believe that part of why we were successful at those boot camps in, the, in, in that time of our, our life is because, because we had good social capital. I had people that I could call that believed in what we were doing, that believed that we could provide value because of Phil and I, not because of Haptic Group, but because they knew Phil and I had the network and had the people and put a program together that for their companies that they want to help scale are the companies that are like, look, we don't know what's going to happen but we know this can help us figure it out and be a part of a program that can do that. And it was because that social capital that when things get tough, you can call those people, call in favors or ask for help and be okay with asking for help. Yeah. And, and look, I think you're using a term that is really important, social capital. It is, it's something you invest in and it's something that whose value you can extract as you move along, but you've got to plant those seeds. Yeah. And it takes, yeah, plant and water those seeds. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. and fertilize and, and whisper sweet nothings to those little burgeoning plants. And yeah, the whole nine. I mean, you know, I've been on the other side of that where I was a taker and when I needed stuff, when I need help, I didn't have it. And that sucks. I've, I've also been at that point where I was, egotistical. I thought I was better than others. And I projected that and I lost business contacts and relationships. I've gone through all of it. I've been in like, even to today, you know, I talk about passion. I bring a lot of passion, to everything I do. I'm still trying to figure out like what and where I fit in in the grand scheme of things. I'm always kind of searching for something more and it's like a constant evolution. And I, you know, my wife, loves what she's doing and she is is like a, a rock solid steady like she knows what she wants she goes after and gets it and she she's all bought in and i envy that to find kind of a fit that she has in her personal professional growth in a way that i never found still to this day have not found hence why i am building a company around trying to build that and find that um and that's but none of it, all, all of that is to say that like all those shitty times leads me to the fact that because I've put so much time and energy and effort into building a truly value-added network that I'm still charging forward and doing really cool things, working on really cool projects with really cool people. And I've had the opportunity to work with over 500 startups in the last three years because of that. And through that, I just continue to learn and grow. And we'll see where that goes. But yeah, I've been, and it's hard to like, if you haven't been in a dark place around it or 
have gone through this realization that you're like a shitty person at times in your life. I mean, like, that's not easy to say that like, I was kind of a shitty friend and shitty like business associate to some people at different parts of my life. If you haven't gone through that period yet where you have that realization, it's just because you haven't been paying attention. We all go through that. And even the people pleasers of the world, you're still, you are always, always, always going to go through those periods where you're not showing up for others in the way that they deserve and also the way that you really want to. Like none of us feel proud. Well, I'm sure some, you know, sociopaths feel proud of being an asshole, but like most of us really don't. And if you haven't had that realization yet that like, ooh, I am not showing up as the best version of me, it is only a matter of time before you will. Yeah. I mean, I challenge everyone to sit around and like think about those people on your phone. And if something went really bad, who would you call? And would they answer the phone? And would they answer the phone? Because I have people on my, my phone that wouldn't answer. I know that. Yeah. That's a tough place to be. We all do. We yeah. all do. But that's why um, I think it's important. Yeah. Oh, it's hugely, it's hugely important. And nothing feels better than knowing that the majority of the people will... <laughs> I'll pick up the phone if you call. <laughs> not, maybe not everyone, um, but that you have at least a few people that like, you know, would help bail you out of jail if, if, if needed. So, okay. So thank you for all this. This was a lot of like dropping knowledge bombs here. Um, where can people find your book? Yes. On Amazon or Barnes and Noble, just put in the social soul, Robert Napoli, N-A-P-O-L-I. It will come up because the whole mastering that is just really long. So just put in the first three, the social soul, Robert Napoli, you'll find it. <laughs> um, and it's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, and if you are in Europe, you can only get the uh, Kindle version right now. So if anyone out there listening from Europe. And we will have that link in the show notes or those links in the show notes as well. Um, and if they want to talk to you about Rise Up Coaching or about working with you um, so you can help them grow, where do they come find you? Yes. So I have a new website coming out in a week. Um, I, Funny enough, I built a new website a year ago to build rise up coaching in a way that I wanted to a year ago that I'm no longer building. So I've kind of switched it and just really made it more simple. Um, so that will have like an easy, like all of my socials with like a little contact me at the bottom, super easy, super easy to uh, connect with me. That's, uh, will be under riseupcoaching.co in two weeks. Um, but LinkedIn's the best place. Rob Napoli on LinkedIn. I'm the guy with the man bun and the beard with the yellow picture. Um, send me a note there. It's easy. Um, and then also Instagram. I'm big on Instagram. Uh, Rob Napoli underscore rise up. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for this. So I have three questions for you, Rob. So number one, what's one thing that makes you grateful to be a founder? Connection. Like mm. because of having to go through what you do as a founder. And I also started a podcast called the bare necessities of entrepreneurship for this exact reason, right? Is that being a founder is tough. And you need to have a good network and a good support system. And it's those connections that you get to make because you're doing something that everyone else thinks is crazy. 
that I think is is the most like the people that I've met, uh, the people that I know. Like, there's people that I am really close with that I have really deep conversations like yourself who I've never met in real life because we met during the pandemic. And that to me is one of the most amazing things about being a founder is the connection you get to build with clients and customers and the people on your team. And All as over you the grow, world. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's powerful. So connection, 100%. It's huge. Okay. What is one resource could be um, a book, a program, a whatever that you wind up recommending to founders all the time? Easy. It's the book that when my uh, co-founder at Haptic Group, Phil DeVecchio, who you both, you know, from, you know, running, being a part of programs, Phil was like, Rob, steal like an artist. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He, he told me that. And he was like, Rob, there's a book by Austin Kleon called Steal Like an Artist. And that was really powerful to me. And the reason why is we need to stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And the whole message of the book is not to like steal, like an, there's the artist part, you don't steal like copyright. What an artist does is takes inspiration from everywhere. There's a, somebody, if somebody writes a post that you really like and you want to like share that post in a different way, you need to first internalize that, right? Internalize what it means to you. How do you receive it? And if you were explaining it to somebody else, how would you kind of deliver it differently? Because maybe your network wants to hear it differently. So the idea is you take inspiration from these places and you learn it and you absorb it. You make it intuitively yours. It's not like, hey, I'm going to just like copy these people's words and say it as it's mine. Like, that's bullshit, right? But if you make it your own and just truly internalize it, you can learn so much from so many places and people. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel and, 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 and make it tougher on yourself. And I always share that book. Like literally every talk I do, it's in there and I, I, I show it. And, and anyone that I've ever recommended to it that actually bought it and read it, like, Rob, this changes. It makes everything I do easier. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Last but not, not least, if you could go back in time and if present Rob could give younger, just about to become an entrepreneur, Rob, some advice, what would you tell him? You're not as smart as you think you are. You need to check your ego. I mean, it's gotten me in trouble and held me back from things uh, early in my career. And it took me a long time to learn when I got kind of in this entrepreneurship world and, you know, going through it. Um, you know, you need to be equal parts crazy, right? Because you see things others don't. Part of being a founder and starting a company, there's going to be so many people that tell you not to do it or tell you that it's not right or it's wrong or whatever, because they can't see what you see. But that doesn't make you smarter than others. So you need to really check your ego and it's like, you need to believe in your crazy and you need to go build it and do it, but also have um, the grace to know that you don't know what you don't know and you need to learn it, ask for help or find those that can help you. And in a way that is not being an asshole to them, like I'm the founder, like, hey, I need help. Like have that grace to do that. I feel like if I had known that earlier in my career, so much could have happened. But at the same point, I wouldn't be here. So I'm not mad about it. But that is 100% what I would say is, you know, you're not as smart as you think you are and to check your ego and to learn those lessons earlier rather than later. Very good. Okay. Uh, thank you for this. Everyone go buy The Social Soul. Learn from this brilliant man. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Rob, for joining me. Absolutely, Casey. I can't wait to get you on my podcast, hopefully soon, um, and, and chop it up some more. Awesome.
I hope you enjoyed that episode on the High Growth Founders Podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time.